Winter's Cloak. This year, I do not want the dark to leave me. I need its wrap of silent stillness, its cloak of long-lasting embrace. Too much light has pulled me away from the chamber of gestation. Let the dawns come late. Let the sunsets arrive early. Let the evenings extend themselves while I lean into the abyss of my being. Let me lie in the cave of my soul, for too much light blinds me, steals the source of revelation. Let me seek solace in the empty places of winter's passage, those vast dark nights that never fail to shelter me. You Darkness That I Come From by Rainer Maria Rilke. You darkness that I come from, I love you more than all the fires that fence in the world, for the fire makes a circle of light for everyone and then no one outside learns of you. But the darkness pulls in everything, shapes and fire, animals and myself. How easily it gathers them, power and people. And it is possible a great energy is moving near me. I have faith in nights. I have faith in nights. Let me seek solace in the empty places of winter's passage, those vast, dark nights. Tomorrow is the winter solstice, the longest night of the year. It is a sacred day for those who follow the earth-centered traditions and mark the wheel of the year. And even if celebrating the solstice is not part of our spiritual practice, We can't help but notice the wheel of the year as we wake in darkness and live much of our lives in darkness in these weeks. The solstice can be many things. Today, I invite you to consider it as a time to be like the seeds that the children and I planted earlier. What does it look like to plumb the depths, to take this season as one for germination, renewal, transformation, the hard work of growth that happens under the surface where no one, sometimes not even us, notices. Describing her understanding of grace, the Reverend Heidi Newmark, a Lutheran pastor who served for years in the South Bronx, writes, I have learned that grace cleaves to the depths, attends the losses, and there slowly works her defiant transfiguration. This may be the work of grace, but it is also the work of each of us, and it is appropriate soul work for the solstice. In this time of darkness, we might follow the seeds and do deep, germinating, internal work. I invite you, I invite all of us, to cleave to the depths, attend the losses, and slowly work a defiant transfiguration. This time of darkness is an opportune moment to turn downward, to turn inward, to attend to the depths and the wounds and our internal unfinished business. I invite you to set aside some time for it in the next few weeks or next few months in this winter season. I invite us all to pause and step aside from the full calendars and long to-do lists that plague so many of us 
this time of year? Is there grief or loss or disappointment that you didn't make time for this year or last year or the year before? And if you haven't been able to make time for it, please offer yourself forgiveness. Not attending to grief and loss and disappointment is a hallmark of our culture. We used to know it took several months or several years to mourn a significant loss. In Victorian society, a widow was expected to mourn for at least a year, during which time she wore black and stopped all of her social obligations. And then it gradually lightened to a gray half-mourning as she prepared to re-enter the world. In the Jewish tradition, mourners sit, sit Shiva, stay home with family to grieve a loss for seven days, and then say a prayer of mourning daily for 11 months, and then again on the anniversary of the death. We don't have rituals like that. Now, if someone is fortunate enough to receive a bereavement leave from work, it's usually about three days, and you're expected to be as good as normal when you get back. That is not enough time to do the hard, slow work that is needed. Francis Weller is a psychotherapist that specializes in grief and sorrow. He offers a powerful criticism of our culture's tendency to not engage grief, to not dive deeply into the soul work that we need to do to be whole and holy. He says, the bias against going down arises from our cultural conditioning. Christian mythology teaches that resurrection and ascension are the proper directions for a spiritual life. The very earth is seen as a fallen place that can be redeemed only by the soul finally getting out of this tawdry place and moving on to its final reward. You rise above, getting better, higher, and lighter. And this focus on ascension is not only present in the Christian tradition. It is common in our Unitarian Universalism as well. There's an old description of Unitarian theology written by James Freeman Clark in 1885. It summarizes the theology of the day and was echoed in Unitarian congregations across the land. He proclaimed, the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, the leadership of Jesus, salvation by character, and the continuity of human development in all worlds, or the progress of mankind onward and upward forever. The progress of mankind onward and upward forever is a lot to live up to. That's a very strong ascension narrative. And this is not some old forgotten document. I've met lifelong UUs in the baby boomer generation who, were, who memorized this statement of faith as children in Sunday school. I know in some of our, some of our congregations it's still a very present and important phrase. But in this time, we need to remember that progress is not onward and upward forever. Progress and healing and wholeness require deep dives into germinating darkness as well. Might we do that deep internal work that happens in the dark, that can only happen when we slow down and attend to the losses and work defiant transfigurations. And maybe this isn't your story. Perhaps you're one of those people with no losses that need attending or has been willing and able to attend to them as they happen. 
Maybe you're not dragging yourself across the finish line of this year, but skipping joyfully. And in that case, since we are a community who are all in this together, letting others grieve, holding that space so they might work their transfigurations is good for us all. Keller, the psychotherapist, leads grief rituals as part of his practice. He describes how making time for grief helps us all, even those of us who are not grieving. During the grieving ritual, he says, you go off by yourself to weep, and when you return, excuse me, (coughs) and when you return, the group welcomes you back and thanks you for helping empty the communal cup of sorrow. How many of us have ever been thanked for our grief before? We think of grief as a burden we lay on someone else, but what if it's actually a gift? This is a powerful idea. What if grieving is personal internal work that heals us all, a gift to the world? What if grief work, the deep germinating work that we are called to in this time of solstice, this time of darkness, empties the communal cup of sorrow that burdens us all. Individual healing heals us all and our world. What if attending to the losses now allows us all to greet the returning sun with more hope and more wholeness? If the solstice is your season for grief, attend to the losses and disappointment. Have faith in nights. Seek solace in the empty places of winter's passage. What do you want to plant in this time? What do you hope will grow and bear fruit? What can you make time to attend to in the midst of the busyness of this season? And when the sun returns, may we be ready to greet the returning light with transfiguration, new growth, new green sprouts reaching towards the sun. And in the meantime... May we find solace, comfort, and encouragement to do the hard work that needs to be done in this community and our other communities. May we find the joy that so many feel in this season. And may we see in the firelight a promise that the sun will return. always good to see. I sit here by this fire warm and bright, sheltered in from winter's night. With candles burning, a wreath upon my door. 
seasons peaceful I close once more I think of all the love I have known The miracles that make one home What can I share now in gratitude and prayer? A list too long, a line within a song, just truth, where there's truth to be heard in the wisdom of times.
Advent poem. I want to find my place amongst the people of Advent, but I can't quite decide who I am. I want to be pregnant with God, but it takes such a toll on the body. I have given birth to things before, and labor is hard and untimely. I want to welcome angels and say yes to anything, but if I saw an angel, I would hold him hostage and send a ransom note of questions demanding answers to God. I want to cheer blessings from the sidelines with a belly growing with prophecies and have friends and strangers take hope because God has a season for those whose seasons have passed. I want to put my trust in dreams and in the words of the ones I love, to believe God is as close as the one who shares my bed. But mostly, I want a break for being the one who mostly falls silent in the presence of all that's holy, who loses her words in disbelief, terrified by claims of joy and gladness, unable to believe that prayers are answered. I am, as you see, I am, as you see, somewhat vertically impaired, so I need a stand. <laughs> Wait by Galway Kinnell. Wait for now. Distrust everything if you have to, but trust the hours. Haven't they carried you everywhere up to now? Personal events will become interesting again. Hair will become interesting. Pain will become interesting. Buds that open out of season will become interesting. Second-hand gloves will become lovely again. Their memories are what give them the need for other hands. And the desolation of lovers is the same. That enormous emptiness carved out of such tiny beings as we are asks to be filled. The need for the new love is faithfulness to the old. Wait. Don't go too early. You're tired, but everyone's tired. But no one is tired enough. Only wait a little and listen. Music of hair, music of pain, music of looms weaving all our loves again. Be there to hear it again. It will be the only time, most of all, to hear the flute of your whole existence, rehearsed by the sorrows, play itself into total exhaustion. And I am not vertically inclined, so I'm pushing the step away. Today is the final Sunday of Advent a season in the liturgical year observed by our Christian friends, neighbors, and fellow congregants. Advent is a time of dual preparation, waiting with anticipation for the birth of Jesus that is celebrated on December 25th, and waiting for the second coming and the reign of love and justice that Christians yearn for. And many of us share this yearning for beloved community the time of more love, more hope, more peace, more joy. In the Christian tradition, Advent is a season distinct from Christmas. And 
a fun fact for you all, which I didn't learn until seminary. Christmas is the beginning of the 12 days of Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas tide stretch from Christmas Day until Epiphany, the holiday on January 6th celebrating the arrival of the wise men to the manger. So everything that's you know, a countdown of 12 days of Christmas beforehand is, is liturgically incorrect, but I think that battle has been lost. But back to Advent. Advent, the four weeks preceding Christmas, has its own colors, music, readings, and rituals. If you visit a Christian church during this time, a Christian church that marks Advent, you won't hear Christmas carols. Sometimes they don't even decorate their Christmas tree until Christmas Eve. You'll hear less popular Advent hymns, like the one we'll use today to close the service. You'll see the lighting of Advent Advent wreaths. And you'll watch them celebrate Advent or mark Advent as a time of anticipation and patience and yearning. A time of waiting for the birth and rebirth of love that guessed that rose, that star. Many of us, Christians and others, have faith that the greater love that some call God is on its way. And we know as we look around at this broken and heartbreaking world that there is not yet enough love moving within us, among us, between us. There is wisdom in the Christian tradition of having a ritualized season of waiting, patience, slowness, and anticipation. Waiting is hard. Patience is hard. And we need the practice. The Christians practice this holy waiting, this holy slowness, year after year. They pause and make time for the deep internal work that we talked about earlier. Of course, Christian communities are not alone in ritualizing waiting, slowness, and patience. A curious example of ritualized waiting has appeared in recent years in Norway. Television programs are making Norwegians experts in patience, waiting, and slowness. The Norwegian public broadcaster has developed what they call slow TV. Slow TV programs include 12 hours of speed knitting, which follows the process from shearing the sheep to the completion of a sweater, 18 hours of mostly uneventful salmon fishing, and the live broadcast of a 134-hour ferry journey along the Norwegian coastline. There was also National Firewood Night, which was four hours of chopping wood and talking about how to best stack wood, followed by eight hours of a fire burning. This slow TV is extremely popular. Over half of the country turned in to the ferry journey. People who, you know, cultural critics speculate that slow TV is so popular because it propels people into their own minds. It's almost a collective meditation shared with the whole country. It's a time of stillness and waiting. And there are plans to bring this slow TV to American airwaves. We'll see what happens. Practicing waiting, patience and slowness is especially important because too often waiting surprises us. We aren't ready. We've been promised no waiting everywhere we turn. Author of Modern Holy Texts, Dr. Seuss promises no waiting 
in his classic, Oh, the Places You'll Go. He writes, You can get so confused that you'll start into race down long-wheeled roads at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across weirdish wild space, headed, I fear, to a most useless place, the waiting place for people just waiting. Waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. No, that's not for you. Somehow you'll escape all that waiting and staying. You'll find the bright places where the boom bands are playing. But we know that's not true, that there isn't a way to escape the waiting and staying. We know that life's not all bright places, it's not all boom bands, however much we might wish it were. Sometimes there is nothing to do but wait, have patience, let something unfold in the fullness of time. We must wait for the seeds, metaphorical or literal, to germinate and grow. And we also know that waiting isn't the right response in every situation. It is, a, it is not enough to wait, anticipate, and yearn for the reign of love and justice. Wishing and hoping and yearning and dreaming do not make it so. Christians wait during Advent with assurance that Christmas will come. December 25th always comes. Things are not always so certain. Not everything comes inevitably in the fullness of time. The prophetic tradition, the holy impatience of our prophets, ancient and modern, teaches us that again and again. They call us to action again and again. There's a story from the Jewish tradition about Rabbi Menahem Mendel of Kolsk, a leader of the Hasidic community in Poland in the 19th century. A student of his asked a question. God, who is perfect, he asked, took six days to create a world that is not perfect. How is that possible? The rabbi answered him, Could you have done better? (laughs) Yes, I think so, stammered the student. You could have done better, the master cried out. Then what are you waiting for? You don't have a minute to waste. Go ahead and start working. And there are times when we do not have a moment to waste, when we must go ahead and start working. So in this season of Advent, the season of solstice, we join with others and the natural world. We wait, we prepare, we gestate, we yearn, and we discern. What would happen if we stilled ourselves amidst the busyness of the season? What is that still, small voice within each of us calling out for us to do, calling out for us to be? What is waiting to be born in this world? And what is worth waiting for? And what can't wait? 
In this season of Advent and solstice, may we commit and recommit ourselves to that hard and untimely labor required to bring anything worthwhile into existence. May we postpone what is unnecessary and commit to what is needed. May we possess the holy patience found in Advent and in the soil where seeds germinate. And may we possess the holy impatience of the prophets that name what what is unjust and envision what could be. And through it all, may we have faith that through us, through our actions and our patience, and through the forces bigger than us, love, the guest, the rose, the star, is on the way. May it be so, and may may we make it so. Amen.